everyone, it's Naomi and welcome to the firecracker department. How's everybody doing in your March? What does March mean to you? Gosh, March used to mean in like the olden days, it meant I was gonna go for March break and maybe have some time off school. Do you still have that in your system? I still have that feeling of like needing a week to regroup, recharge, refocus all the re's, even have something like a retreat. Do you ever do like a private mini retreat my friend Danny does this all the time where she just goes on her own and goes on a retreat somewhere and goes somewhere and writes. I just love that. So I'm gonna try and fuse that a little bit more. I try to take Saturdays off. Those are my mini retreats, but I could do it more because I always love shifting things. I love the shifting of attention, especially if it takes me off the computer. What do you do to shift your attention? Here's something that always helps me shift my attention, and that's our script reading series. We do it four times a year, and not only is it an opportunity to come together as a community, but we get to hear two new scripts, and then we get this great sort of forum of feedback. And I have to tell you that, you know, I write a little bit. I don't write as much as I'd like to. Does anybody? Yeah, there are people. Some people write a draft and then realize that there's a second draft after that. <laughs> Not me. I need to write more. But the script reading series really helps to focus in on the important aspects of script writing. And whether you're part of the discussion or just observing, it's super helpful if you're a writer. So. Here's a note, if you have a script, and even if it's like not perfect, gosh, don't worry about that. Somebody said once that the best script isn't one that is perfect, it's the one that is done, and I so get that. So don't worry about scripts being perfect, but submit them. Not only do you get great feedback from the script reading series team, which is amazing, like actual feedback for your script, but then you get the opportunity of maybe getting it read by professional actors and then having a discussion. And that could be super scary too, but what else are we doing here if we're not doing stuff that kind of scares us, right? So if you have a script or you're an actor and would like to do some reading at one of our script reading events, make sure you reach out to us at our website, firecrackerdepartment.com, where you can find all the information, dates for events, contact information, everything you need around the firecracker department. It's all there. Don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter because FYI, the newsletter people are the first people to know. Like if new events come up or spots open up for our various uh, mentorship panels, that's where you find out. So make sure you subscribe. That's enough of that. Let's get into our episode. Okay, this week our guest is Toronto-based award-winning producer, director, and storyteller Shasha Nakai. Shasha's storytelling has taken her all over the world, like the Hawaiian coastline in 38 minutes, or a Cold War bunker in the hole in Reservoir Hill, the engine room, maybe, of a decaying ship in the unsinkable Captain John, oh, what about the Philippine sugar mills in the sugar bowl, and the front lines of Nigeria's energy crisis with Take Light. I know, you're like, where hasn't Shasha been? She's been all over the place with her storytelling. It's incredible. And now, Shasha has received a Canadian Screen Award nomination for Best Web Program or Series, Nonfiction, for Love Letters from Everest. She and her partner, Rich Williamson, received another Canadian Screen Award nomination for Best Short Documentary for Frame 394. By the way, here's a little FY to your eye, Frame 394 was named TIFF's Top 10 and shortlisted for an Academy Award for Best Short Documentary. I know. So we're catching Shasha at a great wave of success and fun in their creative journey. Audiences might have seen her projects on the BBC, CBC, ZDF, and even screenings at the Museum of Modern Art. 
So as I said, Shasha's been everywhere. With over a decade of documentary experience, Shasha's directed her first drama feature with partner creatively and real life Rich Williamson called Scarborough, and it was adapted from the award-winning novel by Catherine Hernandez. Shot documentary style, it is so captivating. I mean, I think it's a captivating story, yes, for sure. Acting, amazing. Casting, incredible, we talk about all this. But the documentary style is just so, so amazing. And she shot over the course of a school year. So the film follows three children from a low-income community that find compassion, community, and of course, always resilience in an unlikely place. At the Toronto International Film Festival 2021, Scarborough was first runner-up for the People's Choice Award, and it received honorable mention for Best Canadian Feature and won the Shawn Mendes Foundation Changemaker Award. I know, it's a lot, but you know what? There's actually more because, I mean, if you have a table and you can do a little, here we go, drum roll. That's my drum roll. Now, Scarborough has 11, 11 Canadian Screen Award nominations. So that's not one, not two, not three. I mean, I could keep going, but it's 11, 11 CSA nominations. I'm so proud of Shasha. It's incredible. The film received nominations for Best Motion Picture, Achievement in Direction, Adapted Screenplay, uh, the John Dunning First Feature Award, so much more, so much more. Congratulations to the whole Scarborough team. I mean, we got you in the show notes for all those nominations, so go on over there if you want to follow up. Now, as I said, I had the pleasure of watching Scarborough. It was so good, and I have to say, like, you know, we'll speak about this in the chat, but the casting alone is so beautiful. These actors, oh, they break your heart and leave you with hope. They break your heart and leave you with hope. I mean, what more do you want from a film? And as I said, it's shot so beautifully because of Shasha's background in documentary style filming that um, you just, you're just in. You're just in on the ride from the very beginning. So I really encourage you, if you haven't seen Scarborough, go on over and catch it. All right, I'm gonna fill you in with all the different Scarborough information as we go, but here she is. My chat with Shasha Nakai. Hello, hello. How Hi. are you? Oh my gosh, I'm very excited. I have to calm down a little bit. I just finished watching Scarborough this morning, which might not be the best choice in morning movies, <laughs> <laughs> but it also like left me with tons of hope and it left me with the awareness of our community. That's what it did. I think people might be, I'm not sure this is just my theory, but I think some people might be feeling more emotional when they watch it these days because mm -hmm. like community is something that we're we've all a lot of us have been deprived of for the past two years so mm -hmm. yeah I think maybe that's why it might be hitting more hard than it might mm -hmm. it's not an area like you know I don't have kids so I don't have that awareness of the community that happens because of parenthood mm -hmm. but watching that also like I, I remember my mom stepping in like I remember my mom stepping in a lot as I grew up for kids that obviously had needs that weren't being met. Mm -hmm. And then like nowadays, like the balance of that, of like, don't touch my kid or don't interfere with my parenting. But my mom couldn't tell that she was interfering all over the place. Right. Yeah. I mean, gosh, your career, it didn't start directing, but you've stepped into directing. And so you started more in producing world. Was that always your intention to go into that world first? Um, I mean, I've like occasionally directed. Um, mm. I worked at a production company called Storyline for 
like nine years where I got to work as like a production coordinator, post super associate producer on many other filmmakers films. Mm-hmm. So producing has always kind of been my like at the forefront, but I have directed a couple of times, but not it's not as often as I would yeah. produce. For people like you, it feels like storyteller just trumps everything like storyteller is the launch of your career. And then if you happen to find yourself on the path of producing or directing, so be it. Were, were you always a storyteller as a kid? Um, I would say yes. <laughs> I never really was interested in film from for most of my life, really, until mm-hmm. I went to university. Uh, I, in high school, I wanted to be a reporter. So I mm-hmm. guess that is storytelling, mm-hmm. although just in the much more short form. And then I went to journalism school, which is, again, short form storytelling. And mm-hmm. it was only in my last year after I graduated that I really got interested in film. And that was because my partner, Rich, who is my co-director on this film, but also my partner in life, he was in the film program at Ryerson. Oh, so you were kind of watching over and going, oh, that looks way more exciting for me than, than the journalism path that I'm on. Yeah, we were dating for a couple of years first before we actually decided to work together. But it was kind of like this cross-pollination that happened yeah because I work with my husband as well was there a discussion before you were like okay we're gonna work together like let's lay out some <laughs> ground rules I'd love to hear or were you yeah. just like immersed into it and then rewind and like, wait a second maybe we should make some ground rules what was that step like with oh my god it was it's been 13 years now we've been working oh together for 13 years if I remember correctly it was more of like just a trial We worked on a short film together, which was a short documentary we shot on my home island in the Philippines. And Rich was a DOP and he had his own camera at the time. And I don't even remember how it happened, but we were just like, oh, let's try working together on this. You know, his skill set kind of complemented mine and we just have kept working together since. We don't we don't work together all the time. But um, on our most passion projects, we do. Mm-hmm. It's obviously working 13 years later. So keep on. <laughs> it's not, I it's, mean, it was very challenging. Sure. <laughs> I mean, this gosh. one in particular was very challenging. Yeah. Why, why, um, was, why this one in particular? Well, we were both extremely under-resourced in this project. Mm-hmm. We were casting directors together. Right. We were both filling some producer role functions. I was also directing. You know, we just we're doing way too much. Rich was also shooting and editing. Like it was just too much. And so our apartment became like this gigantic storage warehouse of all the props for a year because we filmed over a year. So it was just, there was no work-life separation. It was just no work. (laughs) Do you know what though? Anytime I talk to somebody who works with their partner, I'm always like, when, like when dates become production meetings and how like that fine line is so quickly blurred like you're sitting down it's for a business dinner. meeting how can you not <laughs> I mean it's automatically a write-off so it's good good stuff but at the same time sometimes a date can just be a romantic date yeah so we're, we're just enjoying a little bit more work-life separation now yeah. although we are fully in the prep for the release of the film so oh my gosh so excited. exciting because yeah. I know I want to talk to you about that, like with Scarborough. And I mean, gosh, I know that you have such a huge resume of different credits. So this isn't the only one I, I want to speak about, but because it's so prominent in my brain, having just watched it, you, you shot it over a year, like August to August. A, a huge part of the story 
from the book and in the script revolves around the seasons changing. And yeah. so it's very, it features very prominently in the storyline. And that is the whole arc. It's like over the course of a school year. So it was always meant to be over four seasons. Mm-hmm. Additionally, because this was a non-union production, mm-hmm. all the children could only work on evenings and weekends. Right. So we had to film it over a long time. And then we were supposed to finish in March of 2020, but then the pandemic happened and we had to cancel two days before our last five days. Oh no, heartbreaking. And so that's, yeah, and it was tough. For a while, we, we didn't think the film was going to get finished because the kids were growing so quickly and we thought they would be like right. almost unrecognizable by the yeah. time we started up again. So thankfully we had that small window in August of 2020 in which productions had returned and had protocols so we seized that opportunity to finish the film wow wow I mean gosh those kids and I know a lot of these kids and cast this was their first acting job yeah I mean you know Connor he's an actor but the majority of our 60 person cast were all first-time actors yeah um some of them were comedians some came from the theater world all the children had never acted in a film before and some of the people were real people so for example one of the doctors at the end she's actually a doctor at carrie's place autism services um no kidding that yeah there's a pawn shop attendant who's a real pawn shop the actual pawn shop attendant so there's a lot of uh mix of different kinds of people in the film yeah. And even like little Johnny, right? Um, yeah. Felix Jedi Ingram at Isaac. Yeah. So we, yeah. Um, we originally tried to cast that role um, with a child with ASD and we were just, yeah. it was very specific. They, yeah. The kid had to be indigenous, had to be on set for long hours in Toronto, had to be available over the course of a year. And then the actions that the script required were very specific. Yes. Yeah. So um the folks who we were working with at Carrie's Place Autism Services, they advised us to kind of just cast for the the look of the role. And then, and we would invent a bunch of games together that that Johnny would be able to play with us to make sure that the mannerisms seemed authentic. It, it, I mean, that kid's performance is incredible. It's incredible. (laughs) And, but you can also see like, he's kind of having fun because he gets to just do the things like play. <laughs> yeah, sometimes if you see like an, if you freeze the frame, you'll see him laughing, right? Because we're playing games where it's like, I don't know, turn off the light as fast as you can. And then, you know, he thinks it's all a game. So oh, it's fantastic. It was cute. tell me, like, what are some of the benefits and challenges of working with uh, new actors in this way? Uh, casting was really challenging for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, the person had to be really good at their role. Um, We also had 60 speaking roles with a range of different ages, different backgrounds, and finding that diversity was challenging, especially because we did it all ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, We didn't really have the resources to to hire a casting director. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so they had to be right for the role. They also had to kind of fit this kind of composite idea of the character from care from Catherine and then also they had to be w- willing to work on a micro budget for not a lot of money yeah. and like give up <laughs> evenings and weekends for an entire year so <laughs> yeah you're asking a lot it's a lot yeah. and the cha- the subject matter for the children is very challenging yeah so we also had to find parents that 
from the very beginning had a plan or would work with us to to have a plan on how we would approach certain things that were challenging in the script. Yeah. I mean, you two as directors obviously handled them so beautifully because those performances of the kids were some of the best I've ever seen, to be honest, of kids performing. There was no like awkwardness and there was no, uh-huh. you know, sometimes like kids have sort of like an idea of how they're supposed to be as an actor. That's it's so just, kind. Yeah, it just felt <laughs> really you. like freeing. Like I just watched them playing in a way. I'm glad it came off that way. Yeah, I'm sure it was not always like <laughs> I, that. You know, I, we learn a lot. And yeah. I think the process was constantly, we were constantly learning and constantly readjusting. Yeah. So at first, Rich and I did try to be very, very fictiony about it. We would storyboard and have the kid land on a mark, wait two beats and then turn their head. And da-da. and we just realized like, you can't really do that with children. No. <laughs> so we would kind of just give them a general idea of what they were supposed to be doing and we kind of just let them do what they did and I think that that yielded the best stuff for sure gosh I wish directors would do that with me just like here's a general idea (laughs) of what we want you to do in this scene now go and have fun just play well yeah I mean every single actor had a different working method like with the children they just had to play Mm -hmm. and then some of the actors came in and they were exactly on point with their lines and they preferred a more controlled way of working and some of the actors preferred almost completely improv. So it's just what yields the best of that person's talent, really. Yeah, when I speak to directors, that's so key of like adjusting your language to suit the person you're talking to, whether it's cast or crew. Do you remember how you learned that or what film it was you learned that lesson on? I don't really know. I think a lot of it comes from just like humbling yourself to know that like you don't have all the answers I think a lot of people when they first start directing they have to feel like they have to be like this song and dance person that knows all the answers all the time but we had a great crew in that we never felt like we had to be like that mm-hmm. and they would speak up um or make suggestions or you know it was very collaborative so we didn't really feel like we had to pretend like we had it all figured out already Yeah, I think that was just like the environment on set, really. Yeah, I think that's a great leadership note that you don't have to have all the answers because I think that there is an element, uh, especially directors on set, because time is always an issue that you have to know everything and we can't, we can't know everything. And also somebody else might know better. Yeah, exactly. And especially when you're having so much representation across so many different identities, like it's impossible to just go in and say like, I know everything and you know the the film is about the collective and so yeah it was in that spirit that we were able to constantly learn and adjust yeah tell me about some lessons you learned because like I can imagine having the uh, range of representation in this cast alone must have been a constant like oh I didn't know that was like that from your community oh that's interesting for your community like tell me some of the learning moments that you had um I would say there was just a lot of layers of things and just like mm-hmm. constantly adding layers of checks and balances, mm-hmm. but then also being frustrated because like we have a very high bar, high personal standard we want to meet, but we just don't have the resources sometimes to do all the things we want to do. This film's scope did not really match its budget. And I didn't know that because this was my first feature that I produced. So mm-hmm. this film didn't really belong in the, the Telefilm Talent to Watch program. And I think 
that was the most frustrating. It's just like having really high standards. And then because of like long-term uh, burnout and because of lack mm-hmm. of resources, you, you're not able to meet them. How did you have to adjust when you realized that you didn't have the budget that you, you needed? Well, at some point it just became like a moving train right. and we had to finish it no matter what. So, you know, there were times where we were just like, oh, I, I truly cannot go on. But our commitment to Catherine and to the, yeah. all the people who worked on the film was kind of like what kept us going. Yeah, I can imagine. That's a lot of responsibility on your shoulders. Yeah, but I'm really proud of everybody because, you know, we, we picked really awesome people. Each and every single one of our casting crew, like put a lot of effort into their individual roles, but yeah. also into the people around them. So that certainly made it easier. You can tell this is a project that was made with love from all angles. And when you talk of your budget now, I mean, this is my producer brain that when mm. I hear a Whitney Houston song, I'm like, how do they, how, do they know somebody that knows Whitney Houston? How did you <laughs> afford like getting that song? Sometimes you just have to ask and figure I it out. I love like, that. Sometimes you just have to ask and say like, yeah. hey, we have no money. We have, this is our budget, our entire budget. What are you willing to license this for? Oh my God. And we were able to license it. It probably would have cost more if it was actually Whitney's voice. And I think it's because Bing was performing it that it right. didn't cost as much. But, you know, same with like that Mortal Kombat song. We were like, what are the odds if we're going to get this? But we did. We just asked and we were persistent and also upfront about our resources and they made it work. It's just letter writing. I I love that theory of you just have to ask and it never hurts. Like, I can't tell you how many projects. Well, here's the thing. We don't know how many projects don't get off the ground because people don't ask because they don't get off the ground. But like, you just sort of like, why not ask that person to be in your cast? Why not ask if we can use that Whitney Houston song? I love that quality. We just tried. I mean, that we actually checked the Whitney Houston song before we even began trying to apply to talent to watch because we needed to know that we could afford that song because it's such a critical piece of it so critical oh my god heartbreaking I love that so much (laughs) I don't want to give anything away but there's a moment that I was like oh like I just I shouted oh anyway it's fantastic (laughs) little thing tell me about the prep for this because it was your first feature so I'm sure there was an element of like okay this is my first I want to make sure I'm doing all the things (laughs) what were the things that you were like for sure this is going to happen on my set honestly it was just like I'm really spoiled now because I interviewed personally every single person that joined our team and like vetted them so that was the most important thing to me and then in terms of prep uh when did we get the funds we got I think we got the talent to watch in 2018 when we started rolling 2019 so it was about a year of prep I I had a full-time job still so this the all of the casting all of the everything was done on evenings and weekends and yeah the casting took the majority of the time really because we had to find the right people and we wouldn't start filming until we did so that took like maybe half a year of casting I mean really the casting is is incredible so and that's not like that's usually a whole full-time job itself the fact that you and your partner did that is wild (laughs) thank you yeah when you knew that you were going to work with Catherine's story, can you tell me about the steps? Because I think adapting somebody's story is really, especially when it's so personal, that must be a real challenge. Can you tell me what you, what you went through for that? You know, I've known Catherine for a long time because we're both part of the Philippinex community here. Mm-hmm. And she was actually in my first student film, like, oh, wow. 14 years ago. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> you have a history. 
we, it's not like you just yeah, like shook hands and were like, oh, nice to meet you. you yeah, we've, we've seen story? each other at events and stuff. I've been to like her plays. And then mm -hmm. um, six years ago, we actually collaborated on a dance film together that Real Asian commissioned. And so Rich and I both had a chance to work with her on that. And when her book came out, she sent us a copy of it and actually approached us to, to option it. She'd mentioned that like she'd had other offers, but she really wanted a documentary style approach because it's her neighborhood. She wanted people going in more mindfully and not, you know, taking over all the sidewalks with trailers and taking right. over the streets and just like, you know, tearing things down and building things and all, all of that. Yeah. So it was really in the approach that she wanted to work with us on. And, you know, she did the adaptation process herself. Like she took the book and turned it into the screenplay. Mm -hmm. And when we read it, it was very minimal feedback that we had to give. It was pretty much ready to shoot when she sent it to us. Wow. So that's not every day. No, but she was also so generous in that, like, she also said, we had an agreement from the very beginning that that she would be accessible like at first we were scared because we're like oh my god she's only allowed to come to set once because like what if she doesn't like the characters we cast or whatever but we soon realized that actually we wanted her on set all the time so by the end she, we were just like please come because it was nice to just have her there because we could brainstorm if we if we ran into a problem we could brainstorm a solution together and yeah, she was just really generous and she allowed a lot of leeway in terms of, uh, she knew that children couldn't really recite lines like on point. So she, she knew that we'd have to do some improv and yeah, she was just like a really generous collaborator. Yeah, um, that must have been so great to have. Well, I mean, not on her blessing, but her, her heart on set to be able to, as you said, like guide it properly if you needed her. Yeah, and I think a lot of it comes from a lot of the story is inspired by lived experiences. And mm -hmm. so sometimes we would invite her to share an experience that she went through that inspired a particular scene. And it was very motivating for all of us to kind yeah. of be grounded by that. Yeah, like just to recognize that these aren't actually, it's not just a story, it's an actual, an event that's personal. Yeah, and yeah. you know, this is real people's lives. You know, it's a fictional story, but it's very rooted in reality. It has like the heartbeat of a documentary. Like you could watch a clip of this and be like, oh, that looks like it's like a documentary about life in Scarborough. But how do you think it, it benefited you having that background? I honestly think it was the only way that this could be filmed yeah. <laughs> because there were some locations where there was quite literally five crew members on the street. And then on some days there was 50 people in an auditorium. And with the children, because they were not actors, Sometimes you would, they would truly only do something once. And if you didn't get all your coverage, then you'd be screwed. So, yeah. Yeah. so we just had to be very agile and shoot it like a documentary and kind of just always be rolling. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was like the only way to get the performance from the kids. Right. Do you feel like this has been like, you know, some people have like a vision of life goals Mm -hmm. and I mean who doesn't but like something like this movie do you think that this has been like a life goal for you as you've started in your filmmaking career we weren't really angling to do a dramatic feature at the time that this came to us but it's the measure by which I want to measure all future uh -huh. film productions that I do so um, I would say so just kind of to have a project that is 
successful, recognized in the industry, resonating with audiences whose lived experiences it's reflecting, but also to have worked with a crew who you mm -hmm. feel like a family with. Uh, I think that's very special. And so, yeah, I guess I didn't quite know this exact scenario would be a life goal, but yeah, it was definitely a life goal. And and now I'm scared that I won't be able to replicate it. <laughs> I know. But I also think like you have an experience like this and you kind of go, I, I, like you play the game of when I'm on my set, like when I, when I have a set, this is something I'll never allow. And, and whether it's how you speak with crew members or whether it's how your crew and cast collaborate, it, you know, I think that you sort of cherry pick almost like your, your haves and haves nots. Yeah, I think definitely the thing that's coming to the forefront these days, especially, is just really being able to pick the people you work with because mm -hmm. filmmaking is not fun if you don't write people that you want to spend 12 hours with. <laughs> yeah. And then what are we doing? Like, if we're not having fun, even with like challenging material like Scarborough, like, what are we doing if there's not joy behind this, passion behind it? It's, yeah. It, it makes me scratch my head. Just because we like not making a lot of money? I don't know. I don't, know. Like, I don't think there's enough money to do things. Like, you'd have to, that's when the bills get high, right? When you have to, you have to pay people a lot more money if it's not going to be fun. Yeah. So that's kind of the thing that's coming to the forefront a lot these yeah. days. Was there anything that surprised you going into this? Um, I think a lot of things surprised me. Yeah, just I think one of the things that I didn't expect was how how much the kids would kind of teach me or how mm. much the person I was supposed to be mentoring taught me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Like what? And who was that? Like the, the kids in general or were <laughs> the you children? They just teach yeah. you life lessons. They teach you a lot about patience sure. and joy and, and all the things. And uh, the associate producer on the project, Kenya Jade, it was her first film ever. Like I brought her on to associate produce and I was supposed to be mentoring her, but in all honesty, I feel like I learned more from her than she I get did. It. So. I get it. I mean, I get that so much because I think sometimes, you know, because you might have the experience of being a mentor, it flips so quickly that I'm like, oh my God, I have so much to learn from the next generation or, you know, any of my peers. Yeah, for sure. Was there a moment that you were like, oh, now the the grasshopper is teaching the <laughs> Jedi Knight. I'm mixing up metaphors, but you know what I'm saying. No, well, there were moments where I was too exhausted to move forward and she would step in and wow. she would literally carry me, you know? So I was so lucky to have had her on the production. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Do you think as you choose your next projects, I know Scarborough hasn't even gotten the attention it will, I'm sure. As you choose your next projects, do you have a feeling of like wanting to go back into documentary stuff or do you want to stick in the world of feature films? I think I will always do documentary. Mm -hmm. I think that now I think I might just be a little bit more judicious about what projects I choose just because of the amount of emotional labor that is required in documentary in order to lead with care and, you know, uh, all of that. So I will definitely still do documentary. At the moment now, my my goal is to recover from working on a micro budget for four years. So definitely drama is and uh, fiction is uh, something we're hoping to do more of. Yeah. Do you choose projects or do projects choose you? Sometimes people approach and then sometimes I seek out people. I just told you about Kenya Jade. Mm -hmm. I'm producing her documentary feature that she's directing oh, right cool. now. So yeah, I just find people I really like and just kind of happens. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. And do you steer? I mean, I know that you've produced a different uh, genres. You have like the next stop, which is more in the comedic world. Mm -hmm. uh, do you feel yourself drawn to telling, I don't know, like similar stories in your documentary, maybe even in, in what Scarborough ended up being? But do you tell the same story or do you look for things that are diverse along the way? You know, Rich and I, my partner Rich and I were talking about this just yesterday and we were like, what? Like, how do we uh, wrap all of our work together? Because it's so wildly different. Yeah. Like, oh, a Cold War bunker. Yeah, uh, a documentary, a comedy. And we're, it's just like, what? But I think we, we kind of found, found a through line and on all the stuff that we've produced together, it's always been about the collective and about mm. truth kind of how truth does not really lie in one single narrative. And it's always like, it often features a cast of characters, like a, an ensemble. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of a through line that, that we've been finding with all of the things we worked on. Yeah, that's such a um, advanced way of a partnership to think. Like looking at I mean, your body we of just work. realize that now, because I'm doing this program for producers. Uh -huh. And and they're like, describe your production company. I'm like, I don't know. We just like stuff we like. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's how we start creating is like, I just want to be creative. I want to speak my heart through my art. And then yeah. suddenly you stand back and go, oh, there is a consistency. But to have yeah. that sort of foresight and have that date over wine and cheese where you can talk about it with your partner. <laughs> Were you, is this always in the cards, like filmmaking for you? Or did you start, um, I know you started in journalism, but you did you know you always wanted to be a storyteller? Or was there anything before that? It feels like nobody chooses art because it's the most unsafe <laughs> career that we could choose. <laughs> but uh, how about you? Was there was there anything before this? I, I would say since high school, I've always been really interested in the power of storytelling. Mm -hmm. And the medium is kind of what morphed and changed. But mm -hmm. yeah, I, I've always been interested in storytelling. And it's just always been something that I really like. Uh, yeah. And honestly a lot of it comes from just wanting to make things that I wish existed and yeah. that's kind of what drove me a lot in the beginning do you remember seeing like a film or anything like that that you're like oh I, I want to make something like that well recently I, I watched station 11 and I'm right. like I, I would love to make a show like that just I so... mean that feels documentary style as well that, it is that, yeah it is a lot of it is like what's it, what do they call it it's not a natural lighting they call it natural realism okay I don't know I remember I don't, I you could say anything I'd be like all right about the right. style yeah I really love it just so much care attention mm -hmm. to detail interesting characters like the storyline is so intricately woven and you know it it, it warrants the 10 episode arc and right. yeah I'd love to make something like that um what were your parents like were your parents like advocates behind this career uh, well both of my parents were engineers both of my brothers are in the sciences like okay. one's a doctor and one's a chemist so wow. <laughs> it's like they've got the good science jobs I can I right. run a lot of pass to do my <laughs> crazy arts thing I love it I love you it that like their idea of like your crazy art thing is something like a piece of art like uh like Scarborough <laughs> I'm, like, I'm sorry there's nothing crazy art like that my parents were always supportive of whatever I wanted to do really and I think that's a huge part of like why I feel empowered to just take on these massive subjects but also it it is a bit challenging because like my background's Filipino in our tradition 
it's like you're supposed to go to Canada and make a lot of money and help your family back home. And, mm-hmm. and you can't always do that if you're in film because mm-hmm. it's just like, you know, a roller coaster sometimes, especially if you're working on a micro budget. So I would say that part was challenging. Yeah. I bet that seems like a lot of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember a time when you, um, that you were able to sort of step into that and recognize that, you know, cause I think it's hugely valuable what you're doing. So it's not like it, it might not serve financial needs, but artistic needs and, and gifting the community. Do you remember a time when you kind of had that realization or came to some peace around it? That's kind of what's driven me just, mm-hmm. um, you know, impact the impact of storytelling and uh, telling stories that have been underrepresented. I'm just very bitter right now because I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very bitter about film because I, I don't yeah. see a return yet on the investment. Oh, <laughs> so I, get I, I don't see long-term sustainability and, and I'm still recovering from the, you know, we only just finished the film last September. So mm-hmm. I'm still mentally recovering, but, but that is kind of what is grounding me right now. And seeing the film connect with the people it's supposed to connect mm-hmm. and seeing kids like Felix who plays Johnny see his neighborhood on screen and see himself in the theater that he goes to watch Marvel movies in like that's right. you know that's kind of what is really really kind of uh fulfilling me right now yeah and just for the record I mean that kind of feeling that what's it all about Alfie feeling of like what are we doing where's the return I don't you think all artists go through that yeah I think uh, it's definitely a roller coaster um, yeah you know, being in this industry. The messy part is that I would like, would you want anything else? Like, wouldn't you rather no. be in this, right? Like knowing that the return is crappy, knowing that. We can't help it. We, we just love it. it. We love it. <laughs> yeah. And thank goodness. Like, you know, I mean, as you said, you just finished in September, get some more naps under your belt and you'll be back <laughs> on track. But I, I also think it's important to sort of sit back and be like, I think art is super important. And it's also really hard being an artist. Yeah, it is. I think that's why I'm so open about it too. Like I want people to know the the, the, the challenges and the, the difficulties because mm-hmm. I wish I knew some of those things before I made a micro budget, you know, right. like, like, oh, what would that have changed for you though? Would you well, not, have, not have done it? No, I wouldn't have done this project <laughs> on that micro budget because right. I would have been like, oh, you have to quit your full-time job. There's no way you can do this. Yeah. Or you have to have uh, support for paying rent. Oh, you're family needs to support you, you know, in this way, if you're going to make a micro budget or mm-hmm. I feel a responsibility to just be really open about the experience, good mm-hmm. and bad. Um, mm-hmm. Because a lot of people are, you know, right now they're preparing their application to the talent to watch program. And so I kind of just want them to be aware of these things before going into it. Mm-hmm. How do you think Canada regards artists? Hmm, that's, that's an interesting question. I think you know, one of the most common things a lot of people talk about is how you have to leave Canada to be successful. Mm -hmm. I mean, Toronto is like the most inhospitable place to artists right now. Mm -hmm. It wants all of us to leave. Um, (laughs) Why do you say uh, that? Well, just uh, housing prices, unaffordability of rent. uh, Yeah, the precarity of housing. But I think a lot is changing now. We have a lot more U.S. productions coming here. And uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. how. I think it'll be interesting to see if we are able to make our second feature within the Canadian film landscape or not. Right. 
And there's a chance that you can't, and then you'd, you'd go out outside. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. We'll, we'll, have to, we'll have to see. Yeah, just a couple more naps under your belt, Sneakers. Don't ask for so many questions. Yeah, we need a bunch of naps first. <laughs> no, we need a rest, and then, <laughs> then we'll figure it out. Yeah. So uh, how are you recuperating now? I mean, you're gearing up to go into some big press attention. So how yeah. do you recharge at this time? Um, well, after TIFF, I specifically said no to everything and mm -hmm. just took time to decompress and catch up on paperwork and spend time with people that grounded me. I'm hoping to go see my family again soon. I've been waiting to do that. I'm maybe in April or May, but right now it's kind of like one big push because we want to make sure the film has the best life uh, possible. And then we'll be able to take some deep rest. <laughs> I know it's like the marathon is over and somebody just stepped over and go, actually, you got to run six more blocks. Yeah, that's like I was joking that like, what are you working on next is going to be on my gravestone yeah. because because like that's what it's been. It's a lot of there's a lot of like, oh, my God, Scarrow is so wonderful. We love to hear what you're working on yes. next. And I'm like, what? I, know. I was like, what? You know, can't you just be satisfied with this right now? Live in the moment. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure to like capitalize on this moment. I mean, we're I'm actually thankful that during the pandemic, I actually was able to write a new script, which I now have. But otherwise, I would not have written anything for a very long time after this came out. I've learned that saying a sentence like, I've got a couple projects in development, which is like everybody who's an artist, you all have a, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's sort of satisfying without being revealing. And um, let me just refocus on the project at hand. I've just got a couple of yeah. things I'm working on in development. Yeah, we'll, cir we'll circle back. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll let you know when they hit the grand, but they're in development. And when I say in development, they're just in my brain. Yeah, yeah. that's definitely what it feels like after running a marathon and like the news, the news reporter is like, so when's your next marathon? Oh God. <laughs> how, how can we live in the day, live in the moment when you've got people like that that are like, what's next, what's next, what's next? Well, I think our industry is changing a lot and it's changed a lot too in the past couple of years, mm -hmm. at least just from like the people I surround myself on my feeds. I haven't been in actual right. community much lately, but you know, I think a lot of people are just questioning grind culture and how unsustainable it is. And yeah. And just like how constantly overloading yourself leads to burnout and mm -hmm. then you just don't enjoy what you do anymore. So there seems to be more of an awareness about uh, burnout culture. Mm -hmm. How's your burnout burnout level? It's improving, but yeah. yeah, you know, it's it's hard to find a deep rest when you've been sitting in the same uh, square room for two years. No kidding. No <laughs> yeah. kidding. Do you and Rich ever look at each other and be like, "All right, computers down. We're going for a walk," or <laughs> "Let's just go." Oh, yeah. Like, like, do you do something that is drastically different just to shake yourself out of the the rut or the burnout? Yeah, we, we do that a lot. I mean, that's kind of like our practice. It's just making a lot of time for, for walks and stuff. Yeah. Small, small joys. Small joys. I like that. Yeah. I mean, gosh, you're, you're still in a relationship with somebody that you've just gone through like a really challenging artistic process with. So that's <laughs> your success at, at the day. You don't need to go further than that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I loved this film and I loved just, I love just seeing where your career goes. The, the combo of documentary and um, filmmaking is 
like one of my favorite because it just gives there's such an energy behind it that it just is really I find it really captivating so I really I can't wait to see what you do next thank you so much thanks not for... that you need to do something next other than no, now we will, we will, we will. but yeah. uh yeah so we'll turn project. the tables and you can ask me a question then we'll do our wrap-up question yeah oh yes my question for you is what brings you joy these days oh. <laughs> you said it with a giggle <laughs> I know why do you laugh I'm like that. well because my answer is like nothing <laughs> I'm, just, I'm so burnt I'm, I'm joking I'm joking I mean, but, you know, you, I'm curious yeah. what, what brings you joy? Like, what are the little things that like keep you going these days? I love when you just said like the little joys, as opposed to like thinking about like traveling, like tra I love traveling and we haven't obviously been able to do it. So that would bring yeah. me so much joy, but it's not possible. So what about little joys? So like little joys, like my smoothie in the morning, I got a new blender mm -hmm. and it Ooh is so efficient that it oh. makes that process and I love it it's really just a simple simple joy for me um that's great I got an old dog he's like 17 and oh. I oh my gosh I don't think he can see anymore I think his hearing is pretty much done as well his name's Rufus oh. and he still finds the energy to climb up these stairs to find me I mean who's kidding who he thinks I, is, I have food but he still does that to find me and it makes my heart so happy he has fallen oh. down the stairs a couple of times so when I hear him coming up I'm like oh my god watch where you're going but that's another little joy for me oh yeah pets are like everything in the pandemic yeah. for sure and then I mean gosh I have to say my husband because he's not a little joy he's like, he's joy. like, he's like there's nothing little about this um, I guess I have to mention I have to God, who would we do without these little joys called partners he makes me laugh every day so I'm yeah the world would be way darker without him great I'm glad yeah. you have those things and for sure for sure and what about you what's your simple joys do you have any in your pocket other than the walks that we were talking about yeah just honestly just going for walks and they're not little because they are these things I, I would count these as big things but whenever mm -hmm. I get like an email or a message from somebody um who feels really seen by the film that's mm -hmm. kind of something that like I take a screen grab of and I keep and it just kind of makes me happy that like our project has impact and mm -hmm. for work-wise that that gives me joy but in terms of every day just the simple things like going to grab coffee with rich my partner and my friends really mm -hmm. i really should have put my husband before the smoothie joy huh mm, well it's okay it kind of fades in the background it's not as novel yeah yeah, yeah you forget yeah, yeah. Right? you're like all right, oh, right, right this one too yeah. yeah i also do a lot of yoga and Yes, and that that keeps me uh, semi-sane. <laughs> Were you able to do that through filming? Uh, no. Yeah. No, I would just do like minimal stuff at home really, but yeah. Yeah, I, I can imagine that like everything had to get pushed aside. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna also say, when you talk of these, like the feedback for your film and how important that is, I that is mm -hmm. like, that isn't little joys. Those are huge joys. Anytime anybody says like, yeah. you did work and it affected me or I saw it and it hit my heart. Poof, that's it. Yeah. Those are kind of like what, what fuels me. Uh -huh. All right. Here's some firecracker wrap up questions and then we'll, we'll say goodbye, but I'm so, I'm so grateful for this time together. Fill in the blank to me. A firecracker is someone who doesn't take shit. 
I uh, love that was just like that was just like what came to my head first. <laughs> and it was the right answer. Uh, what would be best known for? I would like to be best known for my personality and my impact as a person to other people rather than my my work is nice, but I'd rather be remembered for things I did for other people. Yeah, I like that. If this was a movie, if your life was a movie and this is one of the final scenes talking with me, not that this is a good final scene, but if it was, uh, what's been like a turning oh. point for you, like a climactic turning point in your life? I would say moving through this production mm. was a huge, huge learning curve, huge, huge growth leap, whether good or bad remains to be seen, but mm -hmm. I would say making this feature was. Yeah. I want to talk to you like months from now when you've had more naps <laughs> because I think it's, it, you're, you're so immersed into it right now, which is, which is a great time to speak about a project, but I, I get what you're saying. Like it's, it's, this is probably bigger than you realize. Yeah. <laughs> I just oh. generally have a very dark sense of humor. So I you just, do? I'm always, yes, I'm always just, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's going to serve forever. <laughs> I hope so. Um, what's something that people don't know about you? I used to really, really, really love video games. I haven't played mm. them since, but I used to be really into horror video games. No kidding. Wow, yeah. that does surprise me. Can you think about all the time on video games that you are you're in your in your past? Yeah, I used to work for PlayStation, and no kidding, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. What's something that you haven't done, but you know you have to do? File twenty twenty one taxes. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> corporate and personal taxes. Oh, you just you just made me so sweaty. Uh, you're right. It's the it's thing. the time. It's time. I, honestly, I just started sorting my receipts yesterday and like dying <laughs> like all receipts everywhere. So I'm, I'm in the yeah. zone. Where do you think you find your power? I think it comes, my power comes from all of the people in my life and mm. collectively how they've impacted me. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I would say that. I love that. What's the best advice you've ever received or the worst advice? I would say the worst one was like someone told me once, like, I, I, I cannot be a director and a producer. I can only be one or the other. And I wouldn't be both on the same project again, necessarily, like mm -hmm. in terms of being the lead director, lead producer. But, you know, I don't think that's relevant anymore. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I get it. Um, is there a firecracker in your world that you can shine a light on? Yeah, uh, I already did. And her name's Kenya Jade. Yeah, amazing. Tell me like something about her. She is very soft and very powerful at the same time, which is very impressive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that description. Uh, my final question to you is advice, advice that you would have given to your younger self. I would have encouraged my younger self to ask for help more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not like do everything yourself. <laughs> I mean, gosh, that sort of reflects back to what we were talking about, like directing and how you don't have to have all the answers. So I think, I think it's a, it's a good reminder for me too. Nice. Yeah. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed speaking with you and I hope yeah. our paths will cross somewhere in the world where I can uh, give you either a socially distanced hello or a less distance hug and uh, celebrate your work. Thank you. It was so nice to talk to you. You have such a, a great warmth.
that not a lot of interviewers have. So thank oh, you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Naomi. Okay. Bye. Keep in touch. Bye now. Wow, right? Oh, Shasha, she's so great. The greatest. I mean, I not only love that she has a perception of her creativity in the moment, because I feel like she lives so much in the moment, but then she's got the intelligence and wisdom to sort of do the work around the filmmaking process, whether it's before going to production or whether it's reflecting back afterwards. And that kind of work is just keeping your muscles limber so when the time goes, you can jump without pulling a muscle. Yep, I went all for it. It helps you not pull muscles when you jump creatively. How about that, huh? Now for the latest Shasha updates, follow her on Twitter as Shasha Nakai. That's S-H-A-S-H-A-N-A-K-H-A-I. And catch Scarborough on the big screen in Scarborough at Cineplex Morningside in Toronto at the Tiff Bell Lightbox. And on March 11th, that's right, March 11th, we're talking 2022, it opens in Vancouver at the Fifth Avenue Cinemas. For a complete listing and all news, everything to do with Scarborough, follow them at Scarb Film on all platforms or head over to their website, scarbfilm.com. Now next week, I'm really excited to share that I'm chatting with the magical, the creative, the artist, Agam Darshi, who was in Funny Boy, the upcoming HBO Max's pilot episode of the Emmy Award winner, Ava DuVernay DMZ, and her upcoming directorial debut with Donkey Head. And I saw Donkey Head, it's a great film. I had a great chat with Agam about art and creativity and process, and what a treat to have these artists for a complete hour to talk about our process. Yeah, that's, that's a gift that I, happily give to you. You're welcome. And I know it's not even your birthday. Like I always say, there's always a seat for you at the firecracker table because our table has so many leaves. Yeah. And if you don't have a chair, that's okay. I'll, I'll share my chair. We can do one bum cheek each on the chair. That's right. We would just love it. We would love you to join us on this journey with your own creative action. I have to tell you how much I love hearing what you're working on through our various platforms. Whether you drop us a comment on Facebook in our private group or Twitter or Instagram, Firecracker D-E-P-T, or you know what, send me an email, firecrackerdepartment at gmail.com. I just love hearing what you're up to and it always inspires me about what's going on in the creative world. To see what we have going on, as I said before, visit our website at firecrackerdepartment.com and while you're there, if you haven't already, subscribe. Subscribe to our now bi-monthly newsletter to get the inside track on everything that's going on in Firecrack Department. And I know if you're like me, I don't love newsletters. I sometimes get overwhelmed by them, but I promise you that we will put in the subject what the newsletter is. So if you're like, oh, that subject actually interests me, boom, you click on it and then you're not inundated with information. But I promise you also that every newsletter that comes your way has really important information around our podcasts, around our events, around things that keep you in the know, you know? There's really something for everyone in the Firecracker department, like our weekly writing bursts, our mentorship workshops, our monthly wellness mini moments, script reading series, as we were talking about before. We have a monthly blog post. I mean, podcast guests, it's just a plethora, a plethora of fun. And as I said, we love having you part of it. And we have all those events, all the things going on for Firecrack Department at our handy dandy event calendar on our website. So go check it out and be part of the Firecracker magic. Thank you so much for joining me today at the Firecracker Department podcast. I sure love sharing these stories with you. And we'll see you next time on the Firecracker Department.
Winnie Wong is our Firecracker head producer. Follow her at wonder underscore Wong on Instagram and wonder underscore Wong 8 on Twitter. This episode is edited by Shane Stoltz. You can follow them at Shane Stoltz, all one word, and Shane with a Y. This intro was written by the one and only wonderful Winnie Wong. That's right, she's a triple W. The rest of the team comes at you from Toronto, Los Angeles, Austin, London, Dubai, and truly from all over the world. Thanks also to Jeff Malutinovic and Igor Korea for our theme music, and thanks to you, yeah, you, sitting there, driving there, walking there, working out there, and taking time to listen. We know there's a lot of options out there, and we really appreciate you choosing us. We hope to see you at maybe brunch, maybe the writing workshop. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Firecracker Department. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 